0: And we're in Micah. We're looking at Micah. And we're in chapter 4 of Micah. And why are we looking at Micah? Well, Micah was a prophet. He was telling us about the future. And lots of people want to know about the future. They want to know what's coming next. They want to get an edge. So they read about prophecies and. And all those things that we see in the Bible. They love the book of Revelation. What does the book of Revelations mean? And what does that have to do? Well, actually, Micah tells you more about what to look forward to than Revelation. Because it sets the scene. But most of the people who read Micah don't get it. They don't understand what Micah is all about. And uh, I would say that it's mostly because of uh, the efforts of certain churches... You know, back when Gutenberg was first putting up the Bible, they realized pretty quick, you know, that uh, they were not going to be able to keep that book a secret. And that's how they had gotten a great deal of their power Uh, over the years, is that they had kept that book a secret. And they did it because they wouldn't translate it into the common language. They would only, you would have to read it in the Latin or the Greek. And, of course, now the Latin was translated from the Greek. It wasn't originally written in Latin. Uh, The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And they got a bunch of guys to translate uh, the Old Hebrew into uh, Greek. Well, they actually even did that before Christ, the Septuagint. had 70 government-paid scholars to translate the Old Testament into Greek. (laughs) so you ended up with a Septuagint and uh, even though we see very clearly that uh, Christ seemed to be or at least the apostles writing down uh, what Christ said it seems that they were quoting the Septuagint so it was commonly used but really what reveals the truth about the future about the past about the present is the holy spirit it's the light of the holy spirit and how that works that's a topic in itself and we probably have a couple dozen hours that cover that that topic of how the holy spirit reveals itself where's where's this holy spirit come from and uh, how does the mind work it's amazing how the mind of mankind works how we how we use it i mean Lots of animals have brains much bigger than man, but man seems to have something in his brain that is not in all the other brains of other animals. They have a way of perceiving the truth or reality in a way that allows them to know the truth, but... uh they don't seem to be using that part of their brain very much lately. And we have all kinds of crazy things in the news. And I often try to tie our present studies of the past scriptures, scriptures written in the past, with our present times. And rather than start out, there's so many things going on in the news, rather than start off with that, we'll just kind of lace it in as we go uh, so that people can begin to understand Uh, why things are happening in the strange way that they seem to be happening in the news, why some people think they're awake because they say they're woke, but they're actually less awake than ever before in recent history, at least, we'll say. But the reality is, is that we closed our eyes a long time ago to certain very important aspects of the Scriptures, and we just... Don't see it. You read it, but you don't see it. Why don't they see it? Why why do they have this perception? And going back to those original Bibles and the Gutenberg Bibles, they tried to stop them from being printed. And of course, you know, like Tyndale, who was one of the early English translations of the Bible, uh, he ended up being burned at the stake and having his tongue cut out because... He was translating the Bible into English, and they thought that would deter anybody else from doing it. But then King James got an idea to have uh, a bunch of government paid scholars translate the Bible into the King James version of the Bible. And they said, they admitted that this was the best they could do under the circumstances, remembering that the previous king, (laughs) who commissioned the translation of the Bible, see they thought, it was a good idea. Let's, let's translate the Bible into English. You know, with Tyndale. Tyndale received the support of the king at one time. But then when people actually began to find out what was in the Bible, uh, they began to oppose the translation. Some began to oppose the translation of the Bible into English. Because people were beginning to find out what it said. And, then they started translating it. Uh, other people started translating it. You know, of course, we had the Wycliffe Bible and the Tyndale Bible. But more and more, as these scholars got into it, they began to discover, wait a minute, this actually means this or this actually means that. And they didn't, that didn't go over good with a lot of people. They didn't like that uh, because it uh, undermined their autocratic, authoritarian, or oligarchical rule of society. And uh, they needed to put an end to that. And that, of course, is what they set out to do uh, by thwarting the translation of the Bible into English. That was somehow a taboo, which kept it out of the hands of the common man. But with the printing press coming along and 600 copies of the Bible being printed out by one guy, they knew they had another problem. So what they did, they organized a way to interpret and to make their own translations of the Bible so that it would be easy to interpret it along certain lines. And they they had scholars going out and arguing Oh, well, this means this, and this means that, and uh, this is what they are talking about, and uh, they they deluded the people who now read the Bible but don't understand it because they have a preconceived notion as to what it says. So we're in the dangerous business of revealing to people, you know, what's behind. Uh, the translations that we're reading. You know, why do they have one word they translate ten different ways? One Greek word translated ten different ways. Why do they have words uh, translated, many words translated into English, into a single word in English that is actually four, five, sometimes six different words in the Greek? Now, why are you doing that? Wouldn't Shouldn't it be pretty much the same all the way across the board? Why why are there so many variations of what they can say? And of course you can read the Living Bible and the King James Bible and you sometimes you're thinking like uh where did they get their translation from? And of course they're versions, they're not translations. And so in those versions you can use what appears as a translation uh more readily to distort the meaning of the text to mean something other than what the author did. So if we go back and assuming that God is the same today as he was yesterday, looking at what Jesus actually said, uh what the apostles actually said, what they were actually doing, why they were being persecuted... What was wrong with their religion compared to all the other religions in Rome? Why were they picked out to be persecuted? What What were they doing that made people so upset? And, of course, we've got lots of articles and audios that explain that. And if somebody wants to debate what we're putting up, they can get a hold of us and we will try to get them on air uh with us. And we will sh- see who's really done their homework. But anyway, we started out in Micah 1. And, of course, the first paragraph of Micah 1 is talking about the watchmen failed to warn the people. Their schemes of getting their brother's inheritance will de- uh, will bring destruction and desolation. So what, it, what was that about? And why does it say watchmen? We don't see the word watchmen anywhere in that paragraph. But, of course, we see Samaria in that. And an interesting thing now some people will argue, well no, Samaria is a place, it doesn't mean watchman. Well it does mean watchman, it says so in their concordance, the watchman of the mountain. If you look at the rest of the Hebrew text, and some some commentaries talk about this as that the Hebrew is talking about Samaria as a who not a what or a place or anything else, they're talking about a who. The the who is the watchman, the men who are supposed to be telling you what's going on in your society, what's coming around the bend, what will be the repercussions of this policy amongst the people, uh, these practices amongst the people. The watchmen are supposed to know and guide the people. But if the watchmen are blind, then the people follow blind guides. And of course, that's That's a topic that comes up during the Gospels. And so this is what Micah is talking about. The watchman failed to warn the people. And we have a page on the warnings that the apostles laid down. And they laid down quite a few warnings. And I don't hear any of the pastors telling people about the warnings of the apostles. You know, like the covetous practice, you will become merchandise. You know, human resources. You'll you'll belong to somebody else. You'll return to the bondage of Egypt through covetous practices. And it tells us this in the Bible over and over again. And uh, the pastors today don't tell the people that. As a matter of fact, they actually send the people to the government to get benefits. They say no. Salvation is just about what you think. Even though Jesus said, no, it's about what you do. Not just what you say, not just what you say you think, but what you do. Because what you do tells us what you really think. And most people think it's okay to covet their neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. Now, it's well known throughout history that that is not true that when the masses develop this appetite for benefits in the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force, they destroy their society. They actually degenerate as a people. They become weak as a people. They don't become strong as a people. They become weak. This is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They actually made the poor weaker. And of course, we've, Got lots of shows showing that that's what FDR was doing. That's what LBJ was doing. You know, it's always interesting that people pointed out that whenever you have these assassins, they always give them all three names. You know, John Wilkes Booth. And you always see three names. Well, evidently, all the ones who commit the transgression of Jacob, they seem to give us all three initials, FDR, LBJ. Et cetera. But anyway, in paragraph 2 of Micah, we see the people will suffer with no hope and be overrun because they believe a lie. And what is that lie? The lie is that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of the governments you create for yourselves. You know, the, Saul. Saul was a good guy. But they gave him too much power, and the power corrupted him. And he forced a sacrifice of the people. And Samuel came in and said, because you forced the sacrifice of the people, you've done this foolish thing, and your kingdom will not stand. Samuel knew it. Polybius knew it. John the Baptist knew it. Jesus knew it. The apostles all knew it. The ones who don't know it is their modern pastors who fail to warn the people that they are moving towards destruction. Destruction and away from Christ by their covetous practices, by looking to men who exercise authority to provide them with a daily benefit. So in Micah 2, we see the first paragraph talks about those that devise iniquity, devise these plans, like FDR, social welfare, through the state. We didn't have that before FDR. Not really. 90% of all social welfare was provided through charity. That's what made America great. is that's the way we did it in America. But we don't do it that way anymore. And America's not great anymore. And like Alexis Tocqueville said, that uh, because, you know, that America would only be great as long as it was good. And it's certainly not good to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. And it's not good, obviously, for the same reasons... Polybius said it wasn't good more than 2,000 years ago. But it's, it's forbidden by Jesus Christ in his instruction to his ministers, to his disciples. It's right there in the text. You're not to be that way. Like the benefactors who exercise authority. Well, if they're not to be that way, why are they sending them to men that are that way? Why, aren't, don't, why doesn't the church have a daily ministration to take care of the needy of society? Because the church is not the church established by Jesus Christ. It's the church established by, I don't know, Constantine, you know, other other guys who say it's okay to have covetous practice. Peter said it wasn't. He said it would curse your children and it would make you human resources, merchandise. And, of course, they talk about the merchants of men in Revelations, which is where you're at now. You've gone to the merchants of men. You've become merchandise. You've you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. It's worse for you in the bondage of Egypt. You only had to pay 20% of your income to the government. Most people have to pay far more than that. And they do pay far more than that in one way or another. And all of them have cursed their children. Every single country have cursed their children with debt. And in the last two years, we've increased that debt exponentially and there's all kinds of bills running rampant in these in the modern Sanhedrins of the world that make law for the people exercise authority one over the other and the pastors keep saying oh just keep singing here in church keep pretending that you're saved while you're actually workers of iniquity because those who devise that iniquity those covetous systems That allows all the people calling themselves Christians, calling themselves, even Muslims, calling themselves Jews, are all engaged in covetous practices. Almost none of them take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Which is what Christ preached, what John the Baptist preached, what all the apostles preached. They don't do that. They do what Christ forbid. And so they're following the ways of Micah because their pastors aren't telling them. And they have devised these iniquitous, covetous plans of socialism. And they've had it going on in their country for decades and decades, generations now. And so, paragraph two in Micah, uh, two, their eyes will be darkened, but the upright will hear. So, if you don't get what I'm talking about, if you pursue this at all, maybe you just think, well, there's something he's talking about that makes sense. <laughs> well, you can go to preparingyou.com and we have, uh, we have this all laid out. It, you look at, you go over in the left hand column, look at Bible, go over, or do search engine up uh, in the right hand corner, right in Micah. It will take you and show you this study. And eventually we'll put all the audios with it and you can follow it yourself. But their eyes are darkened, many people, and they just won't won't see. They, they won't take the time. You know, they'll have to go bury their dead or, you know, do something. else. They'll make excuses just like they did with Jesus. And those that covet will be the enemy of the truth. They, they will fight. They will try to destroy it. That's why, why they crucified Christ. Because he was the truth. He brought the truth. He told the truth. They wrote it down. But you have pastors saying, oh, well, that was before the crucifixion. It doesn't apply after the crucifixion. But the apostles are saying that we have to be preaching the doctrines of Jesus and the doctrines of Jesus is what he said before the crucifixion. And he said it was not those who say they believe in Jesus, that those who say they believe in God Those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And we know it's not the will of the Father to covet our neighbor's goods. through men who exercise authority. And if we knew just a little bit of history, we'd know that that would destroy society. And turn the people into perfect savages where they not only riot at night, but they riot in day. I know an article on Polybius, uh, because Polybius said it 150 years before Christ was even born. And it wasn't new. Abraham had said the same thing. Moses had said the same thing. The instructions are in Leviticus is that your, your sacrifices, your offerings to take care of the needy of society, the congregations of the people, was to be free will. Free will choice. That's the way it was intended. That was God's plan. But because people are blind, they said, oh no, we have another plan. It came to us by way of FDR that we sign up, we waive a right to a portion of our labor, and then we're forced to contribute. Now, originally people signed up because it was only 1.5%, but now it's 14% for anybody privately employed. And... And you have to pay income tax on the top of that. And you have federal income tax and often have a state income tax or a state sales tax or what have you. And you're paying taxes and taxes and taxes and all the benefits you receive from government are from men who exercise authority one over the other. And Christ said it was not to be that way with us. So their blindness will bring destruction. But it also tells us that there will be a remnant shall find refuge. And that remnant, of course, will have to be doing things according to the doctrines of Christ. That's how you would know that it might be the remnant that you would be looking for, that you'd want to join with as well. So in uh, Micah 3, we can see, and we we talked about it in great detail last week, that uh, the first paragraph was, because they bite one another, they will be devoured and God will not save them. This is what he said. There is no answer from God. And because they have no vision, they they don't see that their covetous practices is biting one another. You're, you're getting benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And you will be devoured not only by that thinking, or thinking that that's okay, but you literally will be devoured and destroyed. Because that's what it goes on to say. They are not saved by the blood if they choose to drink the flesh and blood of their neighbor. And that's what people have done. So that people who say that we're saved by the blood. Well, not if you choose to drink the blood of your neighbor. Because if you were really saved by the blood, you would know that the wages of unrighteousness corrupt the people. That's what it says in the New Testament. And that to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority is iniquitous. So, that brings us to chapter 4, which we're going to get into right after the break. So, stay tuned to Keys to the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're looking at uh, this Micah 4. And we're starting off right away with verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass, That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established, be restored in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. So what does that mean? Well, it's full of metaphors. Mountains are people, but they're talking about the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established Uh, be restored in the top of the mountains. That's all the other mountains, which I assume are not the house of the Lord. (laughs) And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow onto it. So this flowing of people onto the mountain of the house of the Lord, what's that all about? And why the last days? Well, actually, those words, the last days, it's a Hebrew word there that appears as Vav Hay Yad Hay. Uh, and those are the same letters that you found in Yahweh. Uh, but it's a different order. Uh, Bob, hey, hey. The, so this hey, there's two hays and a yad in between. And yad, like we've explained many times, is the divine spark. And, uh, one, one of the things in Hebrews is a lot of times they'll add these extra letters to a standard three letter Hebrew word. And give it uh, nuances and extra meanings by adding these extra letters. And you don't see that when you just look up the word in the concordance. You have to go and look at the original text. Sometimes, the, uh, they will add a a letter in that will have to do with something that you do. You know, like a lamad. That's the letter for your hand. That shows that this is something about something that you do. You know, like you make a graven image with your hand. That's something you make with your hand. And we draw this picture of a graven image and we think that means a statue. But it means anything made by your hand. You know, like the Constitution of the United States could be a graven image because it's made by your hand. You you write it out. You sign it and agree to it. And then you may fall down and worship it. In other words, serve it. Worshiping has to do with serving something. Uh, Putting something up on a pedestal, like becoming a respecter of persons, either poor or rich. That's, That's what you do when you worship. That's why judges in England are called your worship. Because you have to respect their authority to decide what is good and evil. Because they've been made ruling judges over what is good or evil, what is right or wrong. And of course that's the gods many they talk about in the New Testament, the Old Testament. They even translate the word into judges because you are supposed to be judges. This is why Jesus says ye also is it not written that ye also are gods? You are judges. That's what he's saying, because that's what the word God means, ruling judge. Well, each of us have a right to make choices and decisions in our own life. And we will suffer the consequences of those decisions. So hopefully we lean upon the Holy Spirit in the making of those decisions. But if we just want to decide for ourselves and not listen to the Holy Spirit of God and just, you know, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decide for ourselves, then we may make some bad choices because we don't see everything. So anyway... Rolling back to this, this word where it said, that we're supposed to believe means the last days, uh, it actually simply means, and it shall come to pass. Doesn't necessarily mean the last days. Uh, the word we see, eleph, chet, resh, means after, but contains additional letters in it, other than just the word that would normally mean after. Which is the Elif Chet Rash. It also contains another Yod, which is that divine spark. And it also contains the letter Tav, which is representative of faith. So when the divine spark, when we listen to the divine spark, that Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, and we have faith in what we hear, because You have to act upon what you hear, because that's what faith is. It's probity. It forces us to act. Then after that time, where we put our faith into action, then it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established and be restored to the tops of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills. But if we do not live by faith, you know, faith, hope, and charity, faith in Christ means that we're going to live by hope and charity. We're not going to live by force and fear and fealty, which is what FDR requires, what LBJ requires. I mean, LBJ targeted the black community with his war on poverty because he knew he would secure their loyalty and vote so that they would vote Democrat. That was his plan. That was his idea. Now, the consequences of that is the breakdown of the black community because it brought about the breakdown of the family. This is what Karl Marx wanted. Uh, Karl Marx, you know, sold his soul to the devil, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, that's actually the way he thought of it. And, of course, the devil wants to break down the family because that's how you divide a society is you break down the family you also divide a society by breaking down uh, the union of the family the congregations of families and of course Israel was congregations of families when they talk about serving the tabernacle of the congregation in the old testament they're talking about the tents of the congregations and the homes of the congregations the Levites were to serve them. How did they serve them? They took care of the needy of society by redistributing the sacrifices of the people amongst the people according to a need when the need was true and it, in a way that it would strengthen the poor. If you If you just throw money out the window towards the poor and they just can grab it up that will not strengthen them. That will actually weaken them. So, God devised this plan to Moses, which allowed the people to own their own labor, own their own property. There, there, there was no compelled taxes other than a half dime once a year, just kind of your ante up. And it could be paid by anybody who wanted to keep you in the congregation of the people. And the Levites serve those people, and they serve those people when, with the resources given to them freely by the people. In Leviticus nineteen eighteen, it says that those offerings had to be based on free will. Because it doesn't mention the word charity anywhere in the New Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament you do not see the word anything in the Hebrew translated charity. But, of course, they had charity in those days. But what they called them was free will offerings. And in the New Testament, we call that charity. And and Jesus often calls it love in the text. But it's the same word that when Paul uses it, they translate it charity. When Jesus uses it, they translate it love. That's just kind of an interesting quirk. If Jesus used that word, they would translate it love. But if Paul used it, they translated charity. So, yeah, charity is what funds the daily ministration of the church. And free will offerings is what funded the daily ministration of the Levites, serving the tents of the congregation. And... There had to be free will offerings. They could not be forced offerings. The first time you see a forced offering again is under Saul, where he forced a sacrifice to provide what was necessary. he He wasn't you know uh, corrupted in the sense that he took the money and misused it. The money was and whatever it was, money or you know supplies or whatever to fund his army. It was evidently necessary. That wasn't the problem. It was that it was forced. It was compelled. It didn't depend upon the free will offerings of the people. And Samuel came in and said, because you've done this foolish thing, your kingdom will not stand. That's how come Saul lost his kingdom. It got worse and worse for Saul and it got worse and worse for the people. It altered the people. It altered Saul. And it brought in corruption. <laughs> and it did the same. In America and all over the world today, because we all force the offerings of the people to take care of the needy of society. And feel perfectly justified in it, and partly because the pastors are brutish pastors who think that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And clearly, it was not to be that way with us, according out of the mouth of Jesus, out of his doctrines. But they don't see that. So anyway, we, we know this mountain will be established when the people start to live by faith again. And start to listen. When they live by faith, there's there's a number of things that take place. You know, they're not just saying, you know, like I, I prayed and, and God cured me. In reality, God your body cured you because of the fact that your God made your body. He designed it to cure yourself. That you have an immune system. That it was built in. Well, there's a spiritual system that's built in too. If you will not hear the Lord, if you will choose to remain blind to the fact that covetous practices destroy society and and curses your children, then you will remain blind and not see what is necessary to see to begin that flow of the people onto the mountain of God, you you will not see it. You will not be a part of it, and you will actually fall under the heading of workers of iniquity. You may be really nice people, but you will be workers of iniquity because you remain blind guides and did not begin to tell the truth that Christ told. Got him crucified. Got him really unpopular with a lot of people. Became popular with a lot of other people who became the true faithful of early Christendom. Took care of all their social welfare needs through charity. And of course that's why they were persecuted. That's why Christians were persecuted. There was guaranteed freedom of religion in Rome. You could belong to any religion. And religion was what you do to take care of the needy of society. That's the way it was defined even 200 years ago in America. But not anymore. Today, religion is what you think, what you imagine, you know, in your own mind. And people worship their catechism, their doctrines, their doctrines, not the doctrines of Christ. They remove the doctrines of Christ because, oh, he said that before the crucifixion. That is the doctrine of Christ, that you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. And when you apply for benefits from those men who exercise authority, you're exercising authority. You're giving them license to take from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. And Christ said it. Moses said it. Micah said it. This will lead to destruction. So we also see this word, last, which is in the Hebrew, appears as, Elif, Chet, Resh, Yad, Tav, be it. Okay. Eliph, Chet, Rash, Yad, and a Tav, be it. Well, the Tav, again, is faith, and Beit is the house, the house of faith. Do you, When you go to what you call the church, is that a house of faith? Is, when you go to obtain the daily ministration to provide the needs of your society, the needs of your family, do you go to men who exercise free will choice? Or do you go to men who exercise force? If you go to men who exercise force, you're not following in the ways of Christ. You're not following in the ways of Isaiah. You know, because we can find this same uh, idea that we see in Micah in Isaiah 2, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now, that's going to be an interesting picture <laughs> when we take a look at that picture. And and if you go to our page at preparing you on Micah and go to Micah 4, I have there in the footnotes, I show these particular words that are translated last and latter. And again, you'll see the word that's translated last, you know, sometimes it's given a separate strong number, but it it, it comes from a root word that means behind or after. And that root, root word doesn't have all these extra letters, but Sometimes they don't give it an extra number, they just have extra letters and they just don't tell you about it and so you have to look it up. So we try to put that in as many of our footnotes as we can. I've done a lot of expanding to the website in the last week or so, getting up every morning pretty darn early uh, before I go out to work and adding to it our page on free will offerings. I added a great deal to that page and lots of other pages, so many I can't even remember them all. But I've also been putting... These individual letters in the footnotes of, uh, the different words that are constantly showing up in Isaiah and Micah. And this particular one that is, is, Elif is, Elif Chet Rash is, uh, Elif is this father-son relationship, God-man relationship, because it's composed of two yods and a bob. That's what the letter's composed of. But the Chet is the life force. This life force dynamic so that if, if you have some semblance of righteousness in you, you will, when you pray, your prayers may be heard somewhat. But we're coming up on a very hard time so you want your prayers to be heard as completely as possible so that you need to repent in all areas. This is why this idea of repenting and seeking the righteousness of God was a process. And that's why Jesus refers to it as a process. And that we should per- persevere in that process. And and resh, of course, is this process of clarification. And that's what you see. Elif, Chet, Resh. Resh shows you that it's part of a process. Whereby you're given the protection of the authority of God. But then they add these other letters. Yod. And, uh, and Tav. And Yad is this infinite point, this connection point. This is where you tap into the Holy Spirit and Tav. Without the Tav, there is no real connection. You need that connection of faith. And if you're living by force, you're not living by faith. It's that simple. It, you, if you, You can say to me that you trust in the Lord, but if you actually resort to force to obtain the benefits that you want to receive from your neighbor, rather than wait upon them and and grant them the right to choose to give or not to give, then you will lose your right to choose. Because that's what you've judged. you judge judged it's okay to take away the rights of your neighbor. So therefore, you will lose your rights. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. That's part of the doctrines of Christ. That if you judge it's okay to take away from your neighbor, then it's okay to take away from you. And Jesus came to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. But if you're going to take away from your neighbor's family... So that you can have, you know, free education, uh free health care, pay for my college tuition, pay for my grade school tuition. I'm going to force my neighbor to do that. I, I want a health clinic, so I'm going to put it on the tax rolls. I want a fire department, so I'm going to put it on the tax rolls. And force my neighbor to contribute to what I want. Because it's a good thing what I want. But the means takes away the justice of what you want. Because you didn't do it by faith. You didn't do it by hope. You didn't do it by charity. You didn't do it by free will offerings. You would not extend the opportunity of your neighbor to contribute to your health care center. You wanted to force your neighbor to contribute to your health care center. And you think you're following the ways of Christ? (laughs) No. That's not the ways of Christ. It's not the ways of Moses. It's not the ways of Abraham. It's the ways of Sodom. It's the ways of Cain. It's the ways of Nimrod. It's the ways of Babylon. You know, mystery of Babylon is only a mystery because so many people are blind to the truth. And they don't want to see it. They will not open their eyes because they don't want to admit they've been wrong all this time. For generations now, we've been going down the wrong way. Verse 2 goes on to say, And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God, of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And of course, like I said, Jerusalem means double peace. Where you're not just saying, Lord, Lord, but you're also doing the will of the Father. You're, it's a word indeed. You see, that's why James can write that if works, you know, faith without works is dead. Because it's not Jerusalem. It's not a word indeed. It's just words. You're just saying, Lord, Lord. You're just a liar. And we know you're a liar because you're not doing what Christ said. And you're not doing what Christ said because you don't see what Christ said. And the reason you don't see what Christ said is you're not humble enough to see that you didn't see before. <laughs> that you were blind. And you, you're you a blind guide. And you you're say you're guiding people to Jesus, but you're actually guiding them in the works of iniquity, which Jesus says, get ye from me workers of iniquity. You know, you've engaged in covetous practices. You've depended upon covetous practices for your daily ministration. You abandoned my ways, but you said you believed in me. You bore false witness, and we know this by what you're doing. Oh my gosh! That puts a dilemma on a lot of people's hearts. That they have need of Repentance. Can you imagine why Christ was crucified? See, if you you hear this, if you begin to put it together and you don't do anything about it, if you don't begin to speak and bear witness to the truth of God's witness to us, to Christ, then you become a prophet of the beast. Because you encourage the ways of the beast, not the ways of Christ. And you, you... are suitable for the destruction. You know, and it's painful to see so many what appears to be decent people failing to see the very simplicity of Christ's gospel. So in verse 3 we see, And he shall judge amongst many people, rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. After uh, Christ came, and, and it's very clear that Micah was predicting Christ. We've already gone through that in earlier verses. You know, this, this uh, Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem would come Ephrata would come this ruler of peace and many people followed that way of peace and there was a reign of peace throughout much of Europe and even in parts of Asia but there were always those who wanted to make war you know the the Charlemagne's who were going out every summer and trying to conquer more and more areas to set up a king over other people he always failed he always was pushed back eventually and because this idea of a free society where you're taking care of one another through intimate relationships in local communities and congregations of families because that's what the early church was congregations of families they were taking care of one another through charity this does not foster war this does not fire, foster rioting in the daytime which is where we've gone, and that's because we got away from what the church was doing just a hundred years ago, 120 years ago. The church was providing most of the welfare, almost all of the welfare for the people. There was some that was by other charitable uh, groups, but that's the way it was. But we've gone away from that, and that's why we are where we are today. We'll be right back. <music> So welcome back. So we were in verse 3 of Micah 4, and we were seeing how they they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, which again is symbolic. It doesn't mean that they're not going to have any more swords uh, or spears. It just means that they're not going to be making war, but they still may come to the defense of their neighbors, so they may may still have such weapons in existence but wars are made because men have rulers and rulers unite the people and then and encourage them to make war on their neighbors usually for profit or or for more power but the reality is is that uh, you've already made war on your neighbor when you have a ruler who can exercise authority over your neighbor to provide you with what you want so you see how that that's going to breed that war and I added some more uh uh quotes to uh, our page on Polybius and our pay, page on snares because Paul talks about our and, and he actually is quoting David talking about what should have been for our welfare will become a snare and Proverbs talks about you know, the, isn't the net and spread before the bird. You know, and if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, you'll put a knife to your throat because he serves deceitful dainties. All these messages over and over and over again in Micah and Proverbs and Psalms and, and, and we see it referred to and even quoted in the New Testament by Paul after the crucifixion is warning us that there is this snare and trap that will make us human resources, merchandise, curse our children, return us to the bondage of Egypt. And book after book after book we're warned about the bondage of Egypt, which is the bondage of Babylon, the bondage of Nimrod, the bondage of Cain, the bondage of Sodom, where he says, give me the people back, because he owns the people. Because he's the ruler over the people. And Abraham, but he was bribing Abraham. He says, you keep all the stuff and just give me the people. He says, I'm not going to take any of this stuff. He's not going to take the people either. He was there to set the people free. And he defeated the enemy that captured them out of Sodom. And was taking them off as slaves, as possessions captured from Sodom. But Abraham didn't capture them. He set them free. Some of them probably went back. Going back to, you know, like they did when they were brought out of Egypt. And they wanted to set up a new system. You know, a, a new golden calf, which we explained that in an article on golden calves. The golden calf was a reserve bank. It was a central treasury. Which Jesus warned you about, a central treasury where you put all your wealth in a central treasury. And that, that's what, that was the arts of the temple. Because the temples were banks. And we explain all this. We show you in history. That, you know, Ephesus, the temple at Ephesus was a bank. It minted coins. It invested in fisheries and in shipping. And it returned a profit. Which allowed them to take care of the needy of their society when they retired. This is very sophisticated stuff going on. But Christians were considered a challenge to the temple at Ephesus. The the, the Christians were a threat to the temple at Ephesus. Not because they had a different, you know, idea about religion. Herod, like I said, he built the golden temple at Jerusalem. But he also built the temple of Roma. Both of them provided the same services with just different statues and different uh, dra- drapings and different traditions. And, and if they did any singing, they probably had different songs. <laughs> but uh, they provided for the needy of society. And that's what this religion was all about. It's what you did about the needy of society, because that's how you bind society together. But you have another way of binding society together. Oaths and affirmations will bind society together. But back to verse 3, it says, And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. I didn't look it up, but I probably could look up that word, learn war any more. Because that's how you get war, is you give power to men to exercise authority over your neighbor and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And before you know it, the government has the power to shut down businesses and make you wear masks and force you either get a shot or no job. They can do all these things because you've given them power to take away from your neighbor, and now they're just going to be taken away from you. Verse 4 says that if you do it the other way, the way of Christ, the way of Abraham, the way of the prophets, the way of Micah, it says, but they shall sit every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Today, everybody's afraid of COVID. A lot of people are getting afraid of the vaccine (laughs) to protect you from COVID, which it doesn't protect you from COVID. You can still get it. You can still spread it. So what does it do? Why why does everybody have to get this shot for for a disease that 99% of the people, more than 99% of the people, will survive without a shot? So we're going to vaccinate 7 billion people (laughs) because a lot of people would die of old age, which is really what they're dying of. Most of the people are dying of poor health, not... Not from coronavirus, but with a virus. They're not dying from it. But uh, anyway, the fact is, people are afraid. They're afraid not to wear the mask. Why are they so afraid? It's the brutish pastors. Really, it comes back to them. Because they've been groomed for tyranny. This is what Polybius was saying, that if you go this way, of living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, that you will end up with a monarch and a ruler that you you will banish liberty and you will live by force and modern Christians live by force they do because they're they're not real Christians they're modern Christians and they're modern Christians because they follow the way of blind guides and they they don't own. Their big tree. They don't sit under their own vine. They don't. They don't own their homes. They don't own their labor. They don't own their children. They're human resources, and this has all happened over the last couple of generations, or, you know, in the last hundred years. So verse five goes on to say, "For all the people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God, and we will walk." In the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. So, how do you know what name of what God you're walking in? Yad Evahe is the name of God, supposedly. And it's actually just a description of God. Yad, the divine spark. Yad, hey, hey, emphasis. va. Yad hey, va, hey, uh so that Vav is either disconnecting you from God or connecting you to God. that's the description that we're seeing, so how do you get connected to God? The word we see for sacrifice in the Old Testament is from the word to draw near the sacrificing that you do to take care of your neighbor, to love your neighbor, to provide for your neighbor through charity, was called Corbin Because it drew you near the Holy Spirit, the Rosh Hashanah. But covetous practices blind you and draw you away from the ways of God. Desiring benefits through men who exercise authority will draw you away from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be blocked by your blindness, by your covetous practices. So that you won't even know that you're being made a human resource. a Literally, merchandise, as it's translated in the Bible. For all the people will walk, every one, in the name of His God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. How do you know if you're walking in the name of the Lord? You're living by faith, open and charity. You're not living by force, fear, and fealty. You're not coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, making them more powerful and your neighbor weaker and yourself weaker. This is just simple. It is simple common sense. Verse 6. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth and I will gather her that is driven out and her that I have afflicted. Now he he said that because they go this wrong way, that they would be afflicted. It's built into the system. It's not like God decides yeah, I'm just fed up with these guys and he just loses his patience and he decides I'm gonna I'm gonna curse them. It's built in. This is why you're given the Ten Commandments to not covet your neighbor's goods, anything that is your neighbor's, your neighbor's wife, or anything. You you don't want to tax your neighbor's wife for her labor. As, as, there's actually been a movement recently to, uh, that housewives should be, have to pay a tax on their labor. They labor for the family. <laughs> See, when you went out in the workplace, your labor no longer belonged to you. When you went out there and got employed by employers, you went out and they they own your labor, and they can take ten, twenty, thirty percent of your labor away from you, and you're working for free because you're in bondage. You're in the bondage of Egypt. That's that's what that's all about. Now, I'm not saying don't pay the tax. I'm saying you owe the tax, pay the tax. But I'm explaining to you why you owe the tax. is because you followed the iniquities, the transgression of Jacob presented to you in this system created by FDR. It's actually created by a guy named White. And uh, we quote from his book, he wrote the system, he invented the system. And uh he wrote a book about it. And he explained the system. And we quote from that in the book, Covenants of the Gods. And it's all on the website for free. So you can go and read that and find out what FDR was really up to. <laughs> what is the result of the iniquitous system? But Micah knew before they even created it. And this is what he was explaining. In verse 6, And that day saith the Lord... Well, i assemble her that halteth what's that word halteth who who's heard that halteth the word halteth there is actually basically three letters which is setek lamad an and uh it means to limp to be lame so how how does that work that you limp and be lame. Uh, you'll find similar three letters in other words. Uh, is one way to pronounce it. Uh, means adversity or stumbling. And, uh, they give them different, strong numbers. 6761 six, and 6763. Uh, a rib, a beam, even a chamber, a board, a corner. Beam, a plank. All these are are from the same basic three letters. Although uh, six seven six three has a hay on the end because it's emphasized. So, but it can be translated like I said: side, rib, beam, even chamber. But in Micah uh, four six, we see extra letters again where there's a hey not only on the end of the word but also on the beginning of the word and it's translated her that halteth in the King James and you find similarly in uh, uh, Zephaniah uh, 319 uh, and the, these are the only really two places that you'll find that word but the Hey, like I say, is an expression of thought and speech and actions. So the fact that it's on the front of the word and on the back of the word, it's talking about that it's both in speech, speech and thought and in actions. It's actually manifested. Tzedek is a word that also has to do with faith and, and the righteous one, but it really has to do uh, with that faith in action. Watav is the faith in understanding. Uh, the tzedek is, uh, faith in action. And that, of course, is why you also see the letter Lamad, uh, mixed in with that, uh, that word, uh, where it's in the center of it. And, uh, now one of the things that I noticed in the, when I was going back and reading the original text at Zephaniah, is that the, uh, I think it was there that the Lamad was not actually in the word, but it was, there was an extra Lamad in the word adjacent to it, which is what I was starting to say at the beginning of the show, is that they add these extra letters, and they'll put it at the beginning, or at the middle, or at the end, usually at the beginning or the end, but occasionally when it's word that is in a phrase, they might put the Lamad or whatever extra letter they're dealing with in the adjacent word, but again, it's it's trying to talk to you about this—the uh, object of your thoughts put into action. The lamad meaning uh, aspiration of the heart, or to learn, or even direct like a shepherd. It has to do with what the hand produces, and of course, you can create these graven images that you worship, uh, which is actually just institutions that you depend on rather than the institution of God. Because God wants you to depend upon faith, hope, and charity and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the world wants you to depend upon oaths and fealty and, and men who exercise authority. And of course, if you were to take a look into hell, you would see all the people who want to exercise authority one over the other, which is what makes hell, hell. (laughs) Is that they're all trying to rule over one another. There's a lot of order in hell. People think that hell is just chaos. No. Chaos is the absence of the order of God. And the way hell can get away with the absence of the order of God is they impose their own order. And so there, there's definitely a hierarchy in hell as well. And of course, now in today's society, we have a hierarchy who's deciding what you, you know, you have to wear a mask on your face. And, I mean, there's all kinds of, we were just talking about it before the show began, that the new laws that people are trying to get passed. And, uh, it's, it's people who are not in touch with reality. They're not in touch. They think they're, they're in touch with, you know, like, uh, Casio Cortez who says that, uh, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't do something. It's actually not. And her science is poorly put together, but it's, it's well funded. Because it's used to gain power over you, because it's all about fear. You see this in all the things that, that you know, if we don't do something, we're all gonna be destroyed. It's fear, fear, fear. You know, back in the 70s, you were to fear global cooling. Because there was gonna be a new ice age. And now we're supposed to fear global warming. Because we're all gonna burn up. And the, the, all the poles are gonna melt and the, the, their data is incorrect. None of their models work. Uh, we were all supposed to be underwater already, according to the original predictions, but they just don't, they don't bring that up. They just keep on going. But it's all about fear. And people cannot see the truth because they didn't want to see the truth about themselves. That's one of the things about seeing the truth. You have to see the truth about yourself to see the truth about everything else. That's what Christ wanted you to be a confessor about your own sins, your own shortcomings. And one of the greatest shortcomings of the modern church is that they've been telling the people it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government. And if you need anything, if you want your daily ministration, your bread, that the church used to divide rightly from house to house now you go to the government to get that bread and the government gets that bread by forcing your neighbors to contribute to your welfare. Or contribute to them and then supposedly that's for your welfare. (laughs) Anyway, uh the reality is is that you're you're getting farther and farther away from the kingdom. So I will make her that halted, that stumble, that that failed to see the whole truth. Uh, he will make them a remnant. And her that was cast far off, and the word cast far off, nun delet chat, that's the, the normal word there, uh, go astray, uh, become an outcast, expelled. You see, when the blind man, who Christ cured with the mud and spittle that he put in his eyes, and then he got his eyesight back, and He was professing Christ. He didn't know what Christ looked like, but he was professing Christ. And they said, if you're going to do that, you're going to get cast out. And they asked his parents to testify on his behalf. And his parents said, oh, we can't say. Because they didn't want to be cast out of that system of social welfare that exercises authority one over the other. The corbin of the Pharisees that Christ said made the word of God to none effect. Because it was the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God the none effect because it was compelled. They had, the, your contribution was now collected by Gabi and Mulcai tax collectors who would go and count the Cummings branches on your plants and your window box and walk your fields and measure what they suspected the grain harvest would be. And they knew that that's what you had to give them a share of that harvest. You had to do it because you had become a member. When you became that member, there was a respecting of persons. But Christ was no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons because He gives you that free choice. And people just, they dismiss this over and over again because the pastors are blind. They don't see it. They say it's okay to do this stuff. You just have to think a thought and you can save yourself with a thought. You can save yourself with magic words and phrases. You can continue to be workers of iniquity, coveting your neighbor's goods, violating the Ten Commandments, even though in John it goes over and over again and says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who love me will abide with me because they keep my commandments. But you're not keeping the commandments. And so James is telling us. Telling us in advance. That if you're not going to be keeping the commandments of the Lord. You're not going to. uh Abide with him. You're going to make the word of God to none effect in your own life. And you can't do that. So. And that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halted, there that stumbled, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. But you have to repent. You have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so now we see in verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So if you want to see that happen, you have to... Have faith in spirit and in truth, in word and deed. You can't just say, Lord, Lord, you actually have to start seeking to that daily ministration that operates by faith, hope, and charity. You have to be working in that direction because that's the process. That's part of repentance. If you, if you still want to think like Babylon, like Saul, like Cain, like Nimrod, you still want to think that's okay. You haven't repented. In verse 9 it says, Now, why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Don't be afraid to seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness. If you want your prayers really heard, You have to repent. And then, after repenting, thinking differently, thinking that I should be living by faith, hope, and charity, then you have to start putting that into action. And that's that process word shows up. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the kingdom of God operates by faith, hope, and charity, and that's why it's righteous. That and the fact that How you operate by faith, hope, and charity needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. But you will not even hear the Holy Spirit. Your eyes will be darkened. You will remain blind until you actually start to follow the way that Christ explained in the Gospels, in the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And some people have done that, in part, you know, they've taken people into their homes and they've helped people out, and that's great. But if they're going to be a minister of the Lord, they have to do this in earnest. And not be afraid, because of the pains uh, of a woman in travail. They have to have the courage of Christ in their heart, which Christ based crucifixion. But we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Music. So, welcome back. So, we just went through verse 9. And it says, Now dost thou cry out aloud? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. But then the very next verse, verse 10, says, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city... And thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. So Christ went out into the fields. He went out onto the water and spoke to the people from a boat. He went out into the field at the time of the uh, loaves and fishes and uh uh was out in the countryside, but then he was going to go to Jerusalem and Peter says, "Don't go to Jerusalem, Lord, because it's dangerous there I mean this is why John the Baptist was out in the field because John the Baptist would be in danger in Jerusalem." <laughs> So he went out into the field because they don't like you in uh, you bringing in the truth into their city. One of the things that I was astounded at in my early studies was that the word city in the Hebrew is also the word for terror. Something to be afraid of. Because the city was not just, you know, a town with lots of, you know, streets and all that stuff. city was this Union, this binding the people together in a civil society. And then the rules of that civil society may include things like income tax and property tax and sales tax. I mean, property tax is used to pay for the schools and pay for the fire department and pay for, you know, the cemetery, public cemeteries and all those benefits that you want. And if you don't pay into them, they will take your house away. That's that's what goes on in a city. Of course, now the whole world is a city because there's almost nobody who's escaped these taxes from men who exercise authority, supposedly to provide benefits to your neighbor. Everybody, it it is, they're all accustomed to this, living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And they've accepted it like they can do this and get away with it. But they can't get away with it because it's built into the system. And now Micah is talking about us becoming this remnant, this, this other group that is going to worship in spirit and in truth. This is going to be those that, you know, repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness rather than the kingdoms of the world and their unrighteousness and their wages of unrighteousness, which is the benefits that are provided by force, fear, and fealty, which will turn you into perfect savages until you not only riot in the nighttime, but you will even riot in the daytime. That was one of the things in this other translation of Polybius I was reading just today. I've added it to footnotes on that particular translator. Uh, and they were pointing out that uh, they, they had their riots, you know, that they, they flattered the mob and offered them benefits at the expense of supposedly the wealthy. Of course, the real wealthy that they were allied with, they didn't get taxed. It's the wealthy they wanted to get rid of, which is the competition of their buddies. You know, it's like Jeff Bezos. He's, he's right in the thick of all this, uh, socialism and all that stuff because he's supporting the candidates. So they will do all kinds of things that will supposedly tax him, but he will also be protected and he'll run all the other business. I mean, this last, this whole shutdown has killed all of his competition and, uh, killed thousands of businesses. You know, like the airline industries are really hit hard. There were a lot of planes out the other day, but it was really hit hard. But there's a lot of supporting industry owned by families in the airline industry. And they all went out of business. And the airlines bought a lot of those businesses up. And now things are opening up again, and they own twice as many assets. And they are now have a monopoly. They own the businesses that provide them with services so they can control the price. And, you know, that's the plan, that the rich get richer. There's this whole shutdown has made more poor people and uh, middle-class people poor than anything since before the Great Depression. And it's also made more people rich and richer than ever. More billionaires than ever because of the shutdown. It, it, isn't, it isn't about keeping you safe. It's about making money. Follow the money. Christ was crucified because you, you follow the money to know why Christ was crucified. It wasn't just ideology. It was, it was follow the money. It was about power. Money is power so anyway, this he says that we we will have to go into the field out of the city, out of that that system devised by the transgressors of jacob the f d r s and l b j s We're not going to get those benefits anymore, and of course, the apostles were called out of such a city. go forth out, that's a call out, and that's the ecclesia called out, but then it says. Uh, you know, that we dwelt in this field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemy. And not just those that go back there, but those that they go back for. See, this, this is how it works. Everybody's, you know, they want to come out of the system and and you know, I, I tell people, Moses did not take people to the edge of the desert and say, you're free, run for it, one at a time. He brought the people together according to the design of God by hardening the heart of the Pharaoh and having to live through some serious uh, trauma, you know, plagues, etc. And they got stronger as a community because they were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And, That was preparing, grooming them for freedom. You've been groomed for bondage. Now you need to be groomed for freedom. You need to learn the skill and art of liberty. And you do this by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of the way you've been doing it through force, fear, and violence. Because that's made you perfect savages. And of course we see the canaries in the coal mine... Out there rioting in the street... Running into stores... Stealing TVs and surfboards and Reeboks... And whatever the popular shoe is today... And uh, you know like... It's just crazy. It's insane. And you say well I'm not doing that... But you're also not sitting down in the tens... Hundreds and thousands... Taking care of one another through faith, hope and charity... So you're not ready for freedom. You're not ready for liberty. You're not ready to get out of the system until you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And you, you don't do that if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I, I know all kinds of people. I can't even count how many people I know who want to be free. But I can probably count how many people that want to be righteous in the quest for freedom. Revelation 14:8 says and there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen is fallen the great city there's that word city again because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication Why do you think you're saved by the blood and you're still drinking the blood of your neighbor that's the wine of the wrath you're still coveting your neighbor's goods and you think that you're following Christ? How can you be that way? Revelation 16:19. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the, of the nations fell. Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath you drink the blood of your neighbor you will suffer the fierceness of the wrath of god revelation 17:5 and upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon secret babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth why why the mother of the harlots we went over this earlier in the study but we'll remind you that the, care, the church is always equated with the mother church, okay? Well, the church is supposed to be these Levites, these ministers who rightly divide the bread from house to house. And that bread is what is provided by the freewill offerings of the people, the Corbin of Christ. And because the, they're the caregivers of society. But you either have caregivers of society that operate by faith, hope, and charity or caregivers of society that operate by force, fear, and fealty. Babylon uses force, fear, and fealty. If you use force, fear, and fealty, you're part of Mystery Babylon. You don't know you're part of Mystery Babylon. That's Mystery, comma Babylon the Great. You're a part of it because you're blind. And you're blind because you don't want to admit That you have not been following Christ. You want to imagine and worship the idea that you have been following Christ when you have been betraying Christ. But we just heard in Micah that everybody has gone this way, but you can become a part of the remnant if you repent. Think differently. Think the way of Christ according to the doctrines of Christ. Revelations 18:2, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, "Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils. Yeah, hell is empty. All the demons are here, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. This is where we've gone." But standing far off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Stop wasting time. Repent. Seek the kingdom of God, because you're running out of time. A mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus With violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Well, that will actually have a physical representation in the prophecies. But the reality is that they're trying to explain to you the nature of the folly of being those workers of iniquity. And and you need to repent of that. So, in verse 11 of Micah 4, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let, her, let our eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as the sheaves in the floor. And that would be like the harvest floor, the sheaves in the harvest floor. Uh, arise and thrash, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their grain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, now that's a lot to unpack, and we have very little time to unpack it all. But, uh, why hooves of brass? Well, how did they thresh grain? Didn't they walk oxen around the on the threshing floor? You put all the shocks of wheat uh, with the chaff and all that stuff there, and you walk the oxen to break those chaffs of wheat away from the stalks of the the grain and then eventually you will toss it up into the air and the wind will blow away the chaff now you'll you'll have to toss out the straw because the wind's not going to blow that away, but that's what you do with your pitchfork is you toss out the straw. And eventually, as you go through this process, and we've done this, we didn't do it with oxen, but we, we've we done this where eventually you end up with a pile of grain. And uh, then you just keep winnowing it, tossing it up, and blowing away the chaff. Well, if you organize your churches according to the first century church... With your tens, hundreds, and thousands of people that are actually repenting and trying to create a daily ministration that operates by faith, open charity. People that are willing to sacrifice and cast their bread upon the waters in hopes that it may come back to them because there's no entitlement programs in the kingdom of God. There's only hope that others will be there for you. You will start to build those relationships in the congregations and between the congregations of the ministers. But the ministers need to allow that winnowing to take place where you come into a congregation. The more you bring the Holy Spirit in to the picture, the more your intent becomes pure, you will have a great falling away. People who, who don't want, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means how... Christ was the head of a church already, an ecclesia, already had the apostles. They were already providing services as John the Baptist had done through faith, hope, and charity. They had just simply gone out and moved the laver to the field out of Jerusalem. See, Micah is predicting that. Well, the same thing, the same principles will apply today. That you move that... uh that system of social welfare outside of the city and into the field, out where the people are. Remember the beasts of the field that they talk about in the Old Testament are actually living souls of the field. That's the exact translation of beasts of the field. Beasts is living souls. Same word. And that's what uh, the beasts of the fields were. It was other people. And uh, so you move the, the temple of God is supposed to be built by lively stones, people, not by dead stones, not buildings, not treasuries, but people who live by faith. And hope and charity. And they create bonds, not by oaths and swearing. This is why James says, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. Why Jesus speaks so much against oaths. You can't get the benefits of the world until you sign something under penalty of perjury. (laughs) Which is an oath. And in order to get those benefits, and I'm not condemning people who have signed that. I'm just saying the answer is to look in another direction for your daily bread. And you do that by sitting down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And we haven't been doing that. We've been doing quite the opposite of that. And we need to rep- repent of that. So back to what we were saying earlier when we were talking about um uh the tops of the mountains. Uh, to be set up in the tops of the mountains, but this term has a, an additional letter appearing also with it, which is where they have two hays, he-he-resh-yad-mem. So the the creation of these long words, basically the words are three letters long, and in order, by adding these other letters to these base words, you get... More nuance, and that's why I'm bringing this up, is to realize that the, in these metaphors, in these stories that we see here in Micah 4, that, uh, there's a great richness in, in these words that Micah is using, and that, like I said, we see the same thing in Isaiah, it's slightly different if you look at the letters, but the translations are almost identical. But, uh, this hey hey Resh, yad mim mim being that flow word because remember the people are going to flow onto the mountain and they're not actually going to go necessarily to a mountain although there may be a physical representation of that as well but everybody is from all the nations are not going to flow up on one top of the mountain they're forming a a mountain and what is a mountain a pile of dirt What what kind of altars were there in the Old Testament under Abraham? There were altars of stone and there were altars of earth. What's an altar of earth? An altar of stone is a pile of stones. An altar of earth is a pile of earth. What's a pile of earth? It's a hill. So they say, shall be exalted above the hills. So they're talking a really big hill and then it becomes a mountain. (laughs) The word hill is from it's a completely different word. It's gimel, be it, ian, hey. But in, in these quotes, they add more letters again. So you have mem, gimel, be it, ian, vav, tov. So what's mem? Flow. Uh, what's tov? Faith. So you got mem at one end. But the, the Gimel be it in, which is the hill, is there, but you have this flow. You're not going to flow onto the mountain until you flow with contributions to ministers who actually want to strengthen the poor through faith, hope, and charity. And there, Jesus had, we don't have time to go into the parables where he was to come to minister to the children of Israel. Well, the children of Israel are not just a bloodline. But the people who actually follow the Father. Because who's the real child? The, the, the son who did the will of the Father or the son who didn't do the will of the Father? He casts himself out by not doing... I mean, this is the prodigal son. He goes away. And he serves other men. But you can come back. You can become that remnant if you will repent and flow onto the hills of God. The hills of Zion. The hills of righteousness. The hills of Christ. If you will lay down your life, you will be able to pick up your life more abundantly in faith. We see this word exalted is uh, from uh, another word, uh, which is nasa, which is nun shin aleph, can mean carry off. And, and here we see uh, it with again additional letters Vav Nun Shin Aleph and a Vav can be a connecting word or a separating word which also appears in the same form in Second Kings 2017 so you see these these words with additional letters show up here and there and so you go and read the context of Kings and we have links, live links to those contexts so you can see and shall be carried into Babylon. You've already been carried into Babylon because of your covetous practices. You're now owned. You're part of those souls and slaves of men in Babylon who have this full everything. They own the labor. They own the fields. They own the cattle. They own everything. You want to be redeemed from that, you have to actually listen to the real Christ and not the British pastors. And the British pastors need to repent and start speaking the truth. We see the same thing in Isaiah 39, 6. Shall be carried to Babylon. Vav, nun, shin, eleph. Vav, separating. Nun, the fish, shin, eleph. Eleph is this relationship between God and man. The, The Hebrews... Thought and concepts. Their language was built in these concepts. We see the same thing in Daniel 11, 12. And when he hath taken away the multitude. What? Into Babylon. That's where you're at now. You're all back in the mystery Babylon. Depending upon the rulers of Babylon for your daily ministration. Not upon Christ. Not upon faith. Not upon hope. We even see it in Amos 4.2. two, shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks. And we could get in we don't have enough time to get in Ezekiel, but the hooks in the mouth of those that will come forth, the many nations that will come against you, but we'll have to say that for another time. We also see this untranslated Havav Eliph uh, next to uh In other verses as well. But you just have to go to Preparing You. And uh, join the network at PreparingYou.com or HisHolyChurch.org. And let's seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Until then, peace upon your house and may God be with you.